This is the message we have received from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you deeply. We heard that at the start of our service. And we've proclaimed something that is true. But I pray that we proclaim it because we believe it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You really can turn a grave into a garden. And nobody else can. So give us grace today. Give us what we need for our lives, for our church, for this city, unto the nations, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to be there in First uh, John, chapter 1. I think it's helpful to, to think in those terms that that the Bible proclaims that, that God can take a grave and turn it into a garden. That's one of these beautiful pictures we have in Scripture. When God uh, made man and woman, He placed them somewhere, right? Where did He place them? In a garden. And their responsibility was to keep it. Didn't do so well with that, right? Because though God had blessed them and placed them in a garden, they wanted to sort of be God. They wanted to take His place. And that's what turned the garden into a grave. And then you know Resurrection Day when... Uh, uh, Mary Magdalene gets to the tomb, she sees Jesus, she just doesn't know he is, but she thinks he's the gardener, and it's just a great picture for us. So is your life right now a grave, or is your life a, a garden? You know, gardens produce fruit, for example, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm going to say those words again because I need to know this in my life. This is what God produces. Fighter verse this week is, if you will abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what's going on in a grave? Nothing, right? What's going on in a garden? Fruitfulness, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But this asks a simple question. That's the fruit of the, what, according to the Bible? Spirit. What kind of spirit is he? A holy spirit. So, so we can take the fruit of the spirit, and, and I was reading a book this week by an author named J. Kim, K-I-M, and he took some time taking the fruit of the spirit and then listing what's their opposites, right? And, and here's some of the things that he said. So if, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's the opposite of love. Well, he said it's self-centric despair. Love is always focused on others and giving to them, right? Anytime the Bible talks about God's love, it talks about how he gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. So the opposite of love is self-centric despair, something you never see in Jesus but you do see an Adam right away at the fall, self-centered. 
The woman, you gave me. It's, it's her fault. And then joy. We talked about that last week, man, right here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. God wants you to have fullness of joy. What's the opposite of joy? Constant comparison. Joy is rooted in what you see that God has given you. Man, if you see what God has given you in Christ Jesus, you're a joyful person. But the opposite of joy is constant comparison. Here's what everybody else has. Here's what everybody else is doing. And, and man, that just leads to despair, doesn't it? Go through life always comparing what and who others have instead of finding joy in what you have in Christ. And then love and joy and peace. What would be the opposite of peace? Well, J. Kim says it would be contempt. Contempt is when instead of having peace with other people, you have disgust, dismissal. Anybody been online lately? A whole lot of contempt going on there, right? And now it's bleeding over into our personal relationships. Peace is when you're eager to sit down at the table. Contempt is when you won't even have the conversation, right? Patience. It's the fruit of the Spirit. What's the opposite? Well, obviously, impatience. You know, one of the great values we have in our culture right now is speed. Can't hardly wait around for anything. Got to have it and have it right now. We travel faster than we've ever traveled. We cook faster than we ever cooked. We want everything faster. I read a book recently that put it this way. We're going faster than we've ever gone before, but we have no idea where we're going. But we're going to get there fast. Kindness and goodness. It's the opposite of kindness and goodness. It's hostility. Kindness and goodness thinks the best hostility assumes the worst. And faithfulness, man, what's faithfulness? Day in, day out, year after year, faithful to the Lord. What's the opposite of faithfulness? It's forgetfulness. And by that I mean it's forgetting what's valuable and precious and what should be the priority in life. And when, when, when you don't have patience, you won't have faithfulness. Because you just say, well, this isn't working and I'm bailing. We live in a very disposable culture. It's ready to toss it out. It didn't work overnight, so it must not going to work. G.K. Chesterton rather, said, when man ceases to worship God, he does not worship nothing. He worships everything. Now think about what he's saying. When we become forgetful of what's precious, we start to fill our life up with everything that's not. Gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. What's the opposite of gentleness? Outrage. Storming off. Raising the voice. Choosing to shame and other people instead of covering the sins of others. That's why the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And then self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. What would be its opposite? Reckless self-indulgence. Self-control leads you to freedom. Reckless indulgence leads you to loss of freedom and, and a, an addiction. And why that's important is because you and I are increasingly becoming one or the other, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's hear them again and just do one of the hardest things there is to do in life. Be honest before the Lord. Right now in your life, What's springing up? When you get jostled, when you get disappointed, what, what comes up? Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or self-centric despair, comparison, contempt, impatience, hostility, forgetfulness of the things of God, outrage, reckless indulgence. Now these are the fruit of the Spirit, or Galatians 5 would testify, the fruit of the flesh, the old nature, the sinful nature. So, something so obvious, but it's really helpful to think about. If these things are fruits, that means they're results. So, the answer is not, well, if I need to be bearing fruit, then I'll just be more loving. I'll be more patient. Anybody ever said that? My New Year's resolution is this year, I'll be more patient. And you got to about noon on January 1st, right? No, no, the, the fruit results from something. So, you have to put a seed in the ground, right? So, the seed has to be planted, and then when that plant grows, that's where fruit arrives, right? So, what is the seed? Jesus taught us this. The seed's the gospel, right? The good news that Jesus Christ died the death you deserve in your place. He received the punishment that's rightfully yours in Adam when he said, God, I'm going to be God instead of you. That's not a small thing. That's a really big thing. To tell God he doesn't matter and you won't listen to him anymore. So the holiness of God says that's not something we just sweep under the rug, but God sent forth his son. You know the verse, but think about it. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him. Now, that's the seed. But you think about this with me. Say I want to grow a tomato plant. And I stand right here on this pulpit and I put a seed right here. And then I start watering it. What would you say to me if I came back next week and said, man, this thing isn't growing at all. I need to put a little bit more water on it. What would you say to me? You'd say, you're crazy. You lost your mind. But isn't that what you're supposed to do with the seed? You water it. So I say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll put some fertilizer on here. Why is it not growing here? It's not a deficiency in the seed, right? It's not that the seed's not good, it's that the soil isn't any good. Jesus taught us this. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who goes and starts scattering seed. Some falls on the path, some falls on rocky soil, some falls among the thorns, but some fell among good soil, and it produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then Jesus said, It's not where he ended the parable. Then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, it doesn't really matter if you're around the things of God. It matters how you're receiving the things of God. So love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not going to come in your life by you saying, I'm going to start being those things. Newsflash, you can't. You can't start being those things. It's not in us. These things are growing out of a seed. The soil is your heart. And that's where we run into some other loving confrontation of the Lord. Is that your heart is not good soil. It's not. But here's the good news. God said, I'll give you a new heart. That's why. That's why, friends. Just think about it with me. A whole lot of people spending a whole lot of time around the things of God, but we're not seeing a lot of 
fruitfulness that comes from abiding in Christ. Because it's not just the world, it's bleeding over into the church. Are we a people increasingly of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness? But it's the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. You might think of it this way. John starts somewhere in 1 John. And it's not somewhere random. You think about John with me, right? I mean, he's a little older at the time that he writes 1 John. He's, he's well into his 80s. And when he sits down to write the letter, he starts somewhere. I think called the sermon life's starting point. John, as a child, grew up in a family that had deep interest and devotion to the things of God. If you know about his parents. He grew up in a, in a family that had a pretty successful family business, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And what a time to be alive. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's there when John the Baptist comes on the scene. And then Jesus is ministering. And John is a first-hand eyewitness to all of it. He's there to see the amazing miracles of Jesus. John's in the boat, right? He's one of the ones that says, we're about to die, and Jesus calms the storm. He's on the boat another time when Jesus walks on the water. John's standing on the shore when Jesus casts out legion. John's in the room when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. John carries a basket full, overflowing with provision when Jesus feeds the 5,000. John had his feet washed by Jesus in the upper room. John often heard Jesus pray, and he often heard Jesus teach, and he's the only one of the apostles present at the crucifixion of Jesus, and he, along with Peter on Resurrection Sunday, goes to the tomb. John's there when Jesus ascends, and he's present when the Holy Spirit comes in power. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? So when John says, I'm going to write you a letter, and if you can remember anything, here's what I want you to remember. Because even after the Spirit coming in power, John's there for all the major events of the early church in Jerusalem. And then John's involved in the church at Ephesus and ultimately exiled on the island of Patmos and writes Revelation. And having been an eyewitness, John's a prominent New Testament writer. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And John's not writing all those things that we have in the New Testament for his own good or his own edification. But he's writing so we would be edified. So John sits down under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and writes a letter. And he starts somewhere. But I think it might be helpful for you to say, to to think, where would you start? If you're going to write a letter to your church or to your family, if you're going to sit down and write a letter to your children, and you're going to say, this is what is really important in life. Now, let's make a clear distinction. When, if you were to sit down and write, it wouldn't be the same as John sitting down and write, as he is inspired as an apostle by the Holy Spirit. But, but John does choose to start somewhere, and I'm emphasizing this because I don't think it's where we would start. When John starts, he says this. 
quoted it once, but think about it with me one more time. This is the message we received from him. That's important because he's saying, this isn't what I've come up with. This isn't a matter of me brainstorming and writing out and pros and cons and here's my list and here's my thesis and da 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 I received this from him. I'm declaring it to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So, so first point I want to emphasize is you must always start with God. Always start with God. In your life. Start with God. In our church, start with God. In your prayer life, start with God. In your friendships, start with God. In your marriage, start with God. With your children, start with God. In your work, start with God. When deciding how am I going to spend my time today, start with God. When you get up in the morning, start with God. You don't drift into abiding in Christ any more than Jesus just sort of drifted into the earth in the incarnation, right? And and again, John says, we have heard from him and proclaim it to, to you. Now, God has to be the absolute starting point in everything. And he might say, Brandon, that's really obvious. But is it? Is it really I mean, it's a lot easier to say we start with God than really starting with God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, quoting his book on 1 John, I want to suggest that half our troubles arise in the Christian life because we do not start at this point. It's because we assume that we know the truth about God. It is because we tend to assume that everything is all right and our ideas about God If not most of our problems occur because we start not with God, but with ourselves. See, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. Let's turn to an example that I hope will be helpful. So if you've got a Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 5. Talking about times and places that John was present. He's in this passage. And something pretty remarkable happens. And I do want us to read the passage and, and then allow you some room in your life to say, has this ever happened to me? Because our default is to start with ourselves and then go to God. But God is saying in 1 John, don't do that. Start with me. Right? You have to know some things about me. So, so uh People, and I often do this, say they start with God, but what they really mean is they start with God as they think He is, not as how He has revealed Himself to be. We can understand the difference between that, right? I'm going to start with God, but I really start with God the way that I think that He is, and that's what is going to, we'll see here in Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on Him to hear the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat, right? 
So Jesus is using the natural amplification, you know. No microphones. Might be some wisdom in that. And Jesus is teaching. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Now, pause button. This is an example that Simon Peter is around the things of God. Right? Can't we see that? He's not tuned out, Jesus. He's there working. Jesus is teaching. And Peter is there. He's present. So Jesus said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. What's the implication there? Call you the right name, but I got some reservations, right? You're in charge, but I just can't help actually tell you I don't think you really know what you're talking about. We've been at it all night. And we're the what? We're the fishermen. If there's anything we know, yeah, you're sitting there and you're teaching your Bible lesson, great. But we actually know what we're doing out on this lake. Around the things of God, but something significant's about to happen. But at your word, I will let down your nets. Well, Peter's like most of us. He's got a divided heart, you know. Okay, we'll do it. And when they had done this, they enclosed a couple of fish. Now, that's not what the Bible says, right? When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. Isn't that a great scene? He went from cleaning the nets to the nets breaking, right? They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish, y'all. Now, it's not that Simon Peter was not a hard worker. He was. He'd been up all night. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What's going on here? It's not a small thing that, that Simon Peter, he doesn't say, You were right. Should have listened to it. What's happening here? is that Simon Peter is encountering the holiness of God. And that doesn't have a little, ah, you were right. No, no, he's, he, this is always the case. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, the godliest man in his day. And when God really showed up, Isaiah said, I am undone. Has this ever happened to you? Depart from me. I, I can't be in your presence For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. So also were James and John. There he is. There's John. Sons of Zebedee. Who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So so in the account, Peter moves from assuming he knows about Jesus to having those assumptions shattered and seeing the power and the purpose of Jesus in accordance with who he really is. 
So prior to this moment, Simon would have said some things that are probably true of Jesus. A good teacher. We might even think he's the Messiah. Till as it progresses, Simon Peter saying, I can't even be in your presence. To Jesus saying, I got power and you got a purpose. I'm going to make you a fisher of man. It's like the, it's like the light turned on. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like inside the light turned on and two things happen at once. Notice what it says. Peter saw Jesus for who Jesus really is and Peter saw Peter for who Peter really is. And his statement is, I'm a sinful man. On the the front end, Peter has the idea that there were things he knew about better than Jesus. And boy, we're just like him. And Peter doesn't interrupt Jesus while he's teaching, but Peter does balk when Jesus stepped into Peter's supposed area of expertise. And that's not abiding in Christ. But Peter gives testimony of what happens in your life when you stop starting with yourself and your understanding of God and listen to God and see God turn the light on about who he really is. He goes from we toiled all night long to we can't even hold all the fish. And y'all, that can happen in a church. Not a matter of, not a matter of how hard are we working But do we know him for who he really is? That he's holy. They went from nothing, no catch, to boat sinking because of how big the catch was. And the difference between emptiness and abundance is whether you start with yourself or if you start with God. For who God has revealed himself to truly be. What do you want out of life? Well, if you start with yourself or you start with God, you're going to get very different answers to that question. So what is it that you're wanting out of life right now? Say, I want to find joy, satisfaction, and contentness. Uh, content, not contentness, contentness. Well, that's, I can't say it. But I sure do need it. So start with yourself. I think there's a picture here for us. What were the nets? Empty. You got to empty yourself of all the stuff that you're holding on to, that you're living for. Your comfort, convenience, this. Simon Peter can't be a fisher of men until he's no longer a fisherman. You know what I'm saying? In fact, this is deep-rooted in him. After the resurrection, where does Simon Peter go back and do? Where does Jesus have to come back to him? Finds him out, what? Fishing. John says, this is the message we have received. And here's one of the times John has received the message that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What is Simon Peter saying there? There's a little bit of darkness in you. You don't really know about this fishing thing. No, no, there's no darkness in him at all. So whatever it is that God speaks to us about through his word and through his son, we can trust that he knows better than we do. Which brings us to the second quick point. We have to always rely on the revelation about God we have in the Bible. We're not free to make up God for who we want Him to be or make Him in our image. The Bible's record is that humans were created in the likeness and image of God. But instead of living a life of submission to Him, we suddenly exalted ourselves and claimed a kind of equality with God. And it's our own self-assertion that's led to all of our problems and perplexities and keeps us blinded. But when God says, I'm going to turn the light on, 
we realize how dark it's been all along. Has God ever turned the light on for you, by the way? Do you realize you were walking in darkness and God turned the light on? Very frequently, if that happens, your initial response is going to be like Simon Peter's in that boat. Depart from me. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're more holy than I thought you were. You're more righteous than I thought you were. And it's only in seeing you for you that I see me for me. And I am a sinful person. I know I've shared with you before a couple of years ago that we were in the mountains and went to the Linville Caverns. Anybody ever been there? They lead you in, like way on in, and then they turn the light out. I'd never been in darkness like that before. And the only thing that kept me from totally sort of losing control was that I knew, just keep breathing and they're going to turn the light back on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Bible says there's darkness in here. So we've got to start with God but not all, any place we want to start with. I mean, we, we kind of got this, uh, this is, we see this in Cain and Abel. They both brought offerings to God, but God only found one acceptable, Abel's. We live in this generation where we think, well, we just offer God. If we, hey, we're actually kind of doing him a favor to offer him anything at all. I mean, most people don't give him the time of day, but hey, we're doing something. Else. No, it's not about what we think God and what he's like. It's about how he's revealed himself. It's not enough to say, I believe in God. What is that belief based on? And John does not say, this is the sort of picture I have of God after I've read and after I've meditated and I've studied the Greek philosophies and other contemporary thought. No, he's actually going to pains to explain it's the opposite. This is the message we received. We were around him. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. And he's not who we thought he was. God says something to us in the scripture. It's very much against our nature and assumptions. He says if we're ever to come to him, we have to come as little children. We we would kind of think on our own, if we're ever to come to him, we have to come to him as mature and intelligent and strong adults, right? But he said, no, it's not that way. That through all of Simon Peter's work and toil... Jesus says, you listen to me, you catch a lot of fish. And notice that Peter's nets are empty and he thinks he's an expert fisherman. I mean, just let that settle on you for a moment. You say, well, I know where life is really to be found, but do you? The Bible says the diagnosis for our hearts is we're two things simultaneously, arrogant and ignorant. We don't know what we're doing and we're so proud of where we are, right? That's us. And isn't it remarkable that here in this account that Jesus, with, with Simon kind of says, well, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. What do you see Jesus demonstrate? Gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, right? <laughs> he doesn't say, just do what I said. No, he doesn't have to. Do you know why? Because he knew what he was going to do. And he knew that the, the boat sinking under the, all that fish was going to be testimony enough that Simon maybe finally would, would get it. So we start with God. And then last point, real fast, this is where we'll make our third point. We must always remember that God is utterly holy. Holy. 
holy. According to Scripture, this is God's chief character trait. What's echoed around His throne in eternity. It's actually not loving, loving, loving is the Lord God Almighty or merciful, merciful, merciful or just, just, just. What is it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is He loving? Better believe it. But in a holy way. Is He merciful? Absolutely. But in an utterly holy way. Is He just? Absolutely. He's all of those things and so much more. But when we start with God, well, maybe best put it this way. When God starts with God, the first thing He says is, I'm holy. I'm holy. I'm holy. So unless we start with where God starts, my whole conception of the love of God will be false. My whole conception of His mercy will be false. My understanding of His justice will be false. Because it's not starting with His holiness, but it's starting with me. Why did Peter plead with Jesus to depart from him? Because of His holiness. Why did Isaiah do the same in Isaiah 6? Because of His holiness. What's the brightest light you've ever seen? When you see a really bright light, I mean, I'm talking serious, not the little reading light, but is there anybody going to go out there and stare up at the sun? Why aren't you going to do that? See, it would ruin me. Well, that's what holiness is like. What do you do when you see a bright light? Don't you kind of go like this? It's the posture of depart from me. Depart from me. It's holiness. That's what holiness is like. Not to the eyesight, but to the soul. You can't bear it. You can't stand defiant against His holiness. And if we don't start with holiness, we'll never understand salvation. When we talk about Jesus saved us, what what is it that He saves us from? And it's the holiness that underscores why Jesus has to die on the cross for us to be forgiven. It's the holiness of God that makes the cross essential. Holiness demands that sin be dealt with. But we tend to think there are a thousand other things more important than this. We just want God to help me find the right person to marry. Help me find the right college to attend. Help me find the right job. Help me with my finances. Help me with... And those things are important. They're just not most important. And we'll never handle any of those things well until we understand God is holy and we are not but Jesus makes a way. Amen? God is holy. I am not, but Jesus makes a way. What, what is John talking about here? We've got First John there. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And this is the message. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So how can an unholy person like me have fellowship with an utterly holy God? Give you two quick false solutions that will never work, and then one that will. The only one that does. Number one, we, we can say, well, God's utterly holy, so can He stop being so holy? That's where a lot of people have placed their faith, by the way. Well, God's just, yeah, he's, yeah, but he's just loving and merciful. 
and we minimize his holiness. Well, as soon as you've done that, you've done something God will never do. God's not going to compromise his holiness. But, but then we get this little thought. Well, in that case, I'll just stop being so sinful. And I'll just start being more holy. And that's the road to legalism. That's the road to comparison. That's the road of the Pharisees. Now, apart from him, I can never stop being so sinful. So we got to say, like, like a child sometimes. That's why it's like a child. Maybe you've, maybe you've been around a child or your child and something's come along and they've made a mess. But you know, I don't know, man, I love my kids, but, but I've noticed when my children make a mess, the first thing they try to do is cover it up. Like maybe mom and dad won't find out. And that's how some people live their life, right? But here's where, here's what as a dad I find myself drawn to. Number one, when my child says, I messed up. And number two, I can't fix it. That's what the Bible says is true of us. That's why we come like little children. We messed up. I tried to be God. I can't fix it. And I need your help. I need forgiveness. But God can only forgive me in a way that's holy. And there's only one way to do that. And that is the cross. Jesus taking my place on the cross to bear my sins instead of me is not one of the ways we can have fellowship with God or even the best way we can have fellowship with God. It is the only way. See, see the only way to bear the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is for our sins to be forgiven and God to give us a new heart. In other words, we don't think this way, but just hang with me as we conclude. The only way to have true and lasting joy is to start with the holiness of God. Because if I don't start there, I'll be delivered or, or I'll pursue a false peace and a false joy. And truth of the matter is a false love. We're arrogant and we're ignorant, but the only thing that can humble us is the, God, is the holiness of God. That's what you see in Simon Peter. When his holiness is revealed, Simon Peter says, depart from me. And, and you know what the amazing thing is? Jesus doesn't answer that prayer request of Simon Peter. Simon Peter says, depart from me. That's the one thing he will never do. Not only am I not going to depart from you, I'm going to Calvary instead of you. And when you see that's who he is, that grace transforms the heart. And this old dead heart of stone can be replaced with a heart of flesh. It starts beating and the gospel seed comes here and it starts to grow. And out of that comes love, 
and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Jesus is better than any God we would have ever made up for on our own. Are you trusting Jesus as he's revealed himself to be in Scripture? So now we're going to have an invitation and a response. The invitation is not, have you ever been around the things of God and the seeds coming down? Probably most everybody in this room has. But I'm asking, has that seed of the gospel of his goodness ever come to your heart and found good soil? Remember, Adam's responsibility was to keep the garden, and he failed. God doesn't, God doesn't fail. He changed the soil where he entrusts the seed. Is God your starting point? God's holy? I'm not. That's why I need Jesus. So would you stand with me and we'll pray together. Is God my starting point? And is the holiness of God where I start when I think about God? Because it's where God starts. So the invitation is open. Man, if you've, if you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be my absolute joy to, to speak with you, to talk to you. You can respond right now to this invitation. I'm, I talk to you anytime. But sometimes it's good to respond quickly. So that's what this is. It's a gospel invitation. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And you know, we see this in Simon Peter's life. It's not like in Luke 5, from then on, everything was good with Simon Peter. Man, he had a whole lot of other things that he had to work through. But Jesus didn't ever depart from him. Maybe you're in a time in your life where you just need to, you believe a work of God in your life is to recalibrate your heart around the holiness of God. I'd love to pray with you. You're welcome to come here to the front and seek the Lord. The burden on your heart, somebody that you know and love and doesn't know Christ, you want to pray for them. The invitation's wide open. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in you is no darkness at all. I have a hard time believing that sometimes because we don't find that anywhere else. But you're telling us there is nowhere else to find it. Everybody else has a hidden agenda. There's a catch. There's a, did you read the fine print? But with you, holiness, be trusted. So we entrust that your love really is love. Your, your mercy really is mercy. Your justice really is justice because you are utterly holy. So I don't know how to ask this. Could you bring it about that simultaneously way down deep in our heart, we would have a response like Peter that says, depart from me. I, I cannot stand in your presence. And at the same time, have the assurance that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That's the work of God, and that's what we're asking you to do. So lead our time of response, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.